Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham, coming at you today nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario, where today we're talking a little immigration history, and in particular, Pier 21. And for anyone who doesn't know, Pier 21 is out in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And between 1928 and 1971, one million people are estimated to have immigrated to Canada via Pier 21. And since the really middle of the 20th century, Pier 21 has taken on this symbolic role within Canadian immigration history and just the Canadian psyche in general, which is why the Canadian Museum of Immigration is located at Pier 21. And the pier is the subject of a new book, conveniently entitled Pier 21, A History. And what's cool about this book is that it was written by two historians at the museum, Jan Raska and Steve Schwinghammer. And what they do in the book is they take first-person perspectives from individuals who came to Canada through Pier 21 and use their experiences, those first-person narratives, to craft a overall narrative about the site and Canadian immigration in general. And I was very pleased to have the opportunity to talk to them. We discussed some of the challenges associated with doing oral history associated with immigration and whether or not there's an element of self-selection involved here. And we also talk about some of the contested histories that are associated not only with Pier 21, but immigration to Canada in general. And it's a topic that there's a lot of varying stories and a lot of varying experiences of people who immigrated, tried to immigrate, and the dealings that they had with the federal government and policies associated to immigration. There's really a lot to unpack there. And I was so excited to have the opportunity to talk to them about the book and how the site both try to address some of these issues. So without any further ado, let's get right to my conversation with Jan Raska and Steve Schwinghammer. All right. And Jan Raska and Steve Schwinghammer join us both from Halifax today. Guys, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having us on. Really well. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate both of you taking the time to do this and talk about the book uh, and maybe a little bit about the museum as well. But let's get into the book first. As I said in the intro, it uses a lot of first person perspectives. And Steve, let's start with you about just the interview process that you put in place for collecting the material. According to the material that I read, you were instrumental in this processing and collecting all the material. So what was that like for you, both in terms of setting up the interviews, but also contacting some of the people across the country to come and speak with you about their experiences? Well, the interview process that we used uh, years ago when I started doing it sort of in 2000 and so on is quite different from what the museum does now. Um, and certainly for the, the first several years of interviewing at the pier, uh, when it was a nonprofit society and, and thin on staff, it was really sort of uh, opportunistic with people who would come to the museum anyway. And they come and identify as a person with a connection, whether as an immigrant or a staff member or uh, a veteran, uh, and they'd be invited to participate with us in doing an interview. 
Um, obviously, that kind of process has a number of, of challenges. Um, you know, you're hoping people are available. There's not a lot of time for sort of pre-interviewing and, and um, any follow-up that you're going to do, uh, you know, if you're lucky, it will come sort of in writing rather than as part of the interview process. And there wasn't much travel involved uh, at that time. Uh, what's happened since the museum transitioned to being, uh, you know, under federal auspices is the oral history program has really transformed. And, you know, in the research team uh, under the direct lead of, of our colleague, uh, Dr. Emily Burton, you know, that that process is really different. Um, it's more project oriented. Uh, they do travel. They tackle a question that's related to uh, maybe an upcoming exhibit or a specific event or um, a gap in collection. Uh, and they'll actually hit the road and, uh, you know, do a targeted cluster of interviews rather than uh, what was much more ad hoc uh, right. kind of uh, opportunistic interviewing that we did um, shortly after the site opened uh, when it was in kind of its first iteration, which was a little bit as a kind of a site of, it was envisioned a little bit as a site of pilgrimage, you know, and so the oral history project sort of grew from there. And uh, now we're in sort of a, a much more robust pace in terms of process. But, uh, you know, the initial interviews, fortunately, the way they were done was, um, as I say, more opportunistic, but they did provide us with a lot of material with impressions and experiences uh, from people with that direct connection to the site. And Jan, for you, did, what was your experience like? Did you feel similarly to Steve in, in sort of the way things were set up? And what type of people would tend to want to participate in these oral history projects? I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, I guess I would sort of answer that first off by saying my longevity here at the Canadian Museum of of immigration at Pier 21 isn't as long or as extensive as, as Steve's. I joined uh, within a year of it becoming a national museum. So the number of oral history interviews that I've conducted is, is quite small uh, in comparison. Uh, one thing I've noticed though is I do think even though we do now have a national mandate, uh, we still do get contacted by the public. Um, immigrants who per, you know have an attachment uh, to the site, uh, what we call Pier 21 alumni, or individuals whose parents or grandparents or great-grandparents have a personal connection or attachment to the site. So they still oftentimes do reach out. But we also sort of go out and, as Steve mentioned, um, look for people who are interested in sharing their, their story. We do have that as part of our national mandate. And oftentimes it is, of course, related to a particular project, whether it be the book or uh, our core exhibits or a traveling exhibit. But I, I wouldn't say that there is necessarily one particular group. I, I think it's quite diverse and quite varied. And for me as a researcher, what I really like about putting this, this book together was just the, the amount of diversity that you find in the voices that are in the collection and hence make it into the book. Uh, they're coming from all sorts of different uh, walks of life, different sort of ethno-cultural backgrounds, of course, different um, times uh, of immigration. Not everyone, of course, comes uh, during the Great Depression or, or in the early post-war period. Uh, but there's just so much uh, richness and so much uh, context there that sort of tease out when, uh, when writing this book. So I, I guess I would answer it uh, in that way. 
one of the questions that I kept coming back to as I was thinking about this and thinking about the book, and I guess just Pier 21 in general, is as you're going out to find people, is there almost a, a self-selection process in place there of, it's obviously people who, who came to the country and stayed, were able to make it through the immigration process and their families, and also potentially the people who are more excited to participate are people who had positive experiences in in that space. Like, is that something, Steve, that is a real issue and something that you all think about when you're going through these projects? Like uh, any sort of self-selection where obviously people who didn't come to Canada or were sent home aren't necessarily participating or people who had negative experiences might not want to participate. Like, is that something that the museum is conscious of and makes its way into the book? Absolutely, Sean. That, that's one of the one of the most difficult challenges for us um, in many aspects of our work. This idea of self-selecting, especially when we were sort of, you know, working mainly with people who chose further, not just to participate with us in some kind of memory inquiry, but to be present at the site. Right. You know, these are people who value that memory enough, usually that they would travel to explore it, right? And what we found later on when we had a researcher sort of going through accounts, because we were very curious about the, the problematic relationship that this kind of self-selection would create between sort of the research results and, and you know, a more balanced accounting uh, of the history. What we found is, is for a lot of people who came through, the arrival certainly was uh, an important moment, but did Pier 21 figure sort of massively in their memories? Perhaps not. You know, uh, it, it, it wasn't necessarily sort of this golden moment of stepping off into a new land. It was part of a larger process. It was important. They got off the ship in the new country and so on. But, you know, in, in the course of surveying over a, a broader range of immigrant accounts, you know, you find that perhaps the port of entry isn't um, the biggest deal, right? right and yeah. if you're doing a project that's located at a port of entry, it's going gonna, it's gonna to swing towards you know, a favorable bias, emphasizing perhaps artificially the role of, of that place. Uh, just to answer deportation quickly, yeah, the, the, the people who were deported or who were refused, it's much harder to get a, a story of that out. And so when we're doing exhibits, when we're considering uh, a project like this book, um, accounting for those histories and the histories of exclusion is it's incredibly important and that's a burden that we feel more particularly on ourselves fortunately there are, there are other kinds of tools that help us with that um, documentary records the you know the the files of the immigration branch at the national archives uh, they do help beef it up where we find it might be harder to do memory inquiry but i guess the the follow-up i would have to that and Jan, maybe you would have some some thoughts on this as well is the book is advertised as a narrative history based off of oral histories, these interviews that were conducted. So how do you include the stories of those people who didn't come in or who were deported into that narrative, right? When you're basing it so much on those personal experiences, if those people are not present to give their experience, how, how does the book then try to balance the the issue of access between those who, uh, as Steve was saying, were eager to participate, happy to participate, versus those who potentially were not available for a, ver a variety of reasons. 
I think I think that's a that's a great uh, that's a great question. I, I suppose it's a tension that's that's always there. I think Steve and I, as as historians, we try to look for you know continuity where there's change and change where there's continuity. And if you can't maybe get a, a you know a narrative or a written story, and perhaps you can get it through you know historical documentation, for example, at the provincial or the national archives. I think one of the things that that does is that, that at the very least, it shows that Pier 21 as an immigration facility, as a official port of entry into Canada, it shows that the memories are wide ranging, right? That the experiences are, are quite diverse. So for example, if somebody had all their paperwork together, um, you know, didn't have a past criminal record, had uh, employment already lined up or family willing to sponsor them in Canada, their their immigration process through the shed would have been probably quite efficient and wouldn't have lasted that long. And so their memories, of course, may be perhaps uh, a bit more clean, a bit more favorable. They maybe don't remember as much, whereas someone who maybe got off the ship and was a little bit sick, couldn't speak English or French, maybe didn't have any money on them or didn't know anybody in Canada, then, of course, they likely would have been detained for some time and their experiences and memories of Pier 21 would have been uh, considerably different. So I think what we've both tried to do is use our collection and our oral history collecting and try to show a multitude of different experiences to give the idea that there isn't, of course, one official um, account, one official historical narrative, but there are many stories here, right? That it's multi-layered. And it's something that I think about a lot that in my job as a historian with Parks Canada, working with the National Program of Commemoration, of course, Pier 21 is uh, a national historic site. And the the way in which we think about the, the, the pier and immigration in general, and it, it's so different from a lot of the other sites, at least that I've had the opportunity to work with, in that there is that variety of experience, as you mentioned, Jan, that there are some people who had great experiences there and uh, view it in a very positive light. This is the first time that they arrived in Canada. And for a lot of folks, that meant a better life and a better experiences and opportunities for themselves and their families, whereas other people had negative experiences there. And when we're trying to commemorate sites or in your case to write about sites or create uh, the, the museum and exhibits about the sites, it's so hard to incorporate all of those voices. And, you know, Steve, for you as someone who works at the museum, how often, like, what is the balance you would say of people who come to the museum or contact the museum and want to discuss negative experiences versus positive experiences? Like, like, is there a balance there? Or is there any sort of ratio that you found of people who have very different perceptions of the space? So we do visitor surveys uh, every August, and and like any visitor survey, it has some limitations. Uh, obviously, it's working with people who choose to be at the museum and choose to be at the museum at a particular time of year and so on. But those surveys do tell us a few things related to this. Uh, one thing uh, that we find is that you know there there's a, a certain small percentage of our visitors now that has this direct personal connection with the museum that they want to explore. And uh, moving away from, from the data to a minute to my sort of anecdotal experience as somebody in the museum space, a lot of those people who choose to return are choosing to return to explore a memory that they want to construct and share with their family. They're, they're choosing to explore a, a place that they remember 
well. However, the body uh, of comment and response from the, the museum-going population more broadly, it leads us and is often quite strong and affirming. You know, people want to explore not just sort of the negative stories of the, of the site necessarily, although they are interested, but the things that complicate it. So Pier 21 is a site of inclusion and exclusion. The immigration process uh, as something that uh, happens in a network, you know, where people could be turned away overseas or they could arrive in Canada and then be deported later. These more complicated aspects of the history uh, are certainly very much alive in our visiting public's interests, and we hear about it regularly in a multitude of ways, visitor surveys, but also comment cards, the responses to the exhibits we create, and so on. That's so interesting to think about it in that network, right? Because it has the the public face, at least to me as someone who who hasn't been to the East Coast that frequently in my life. You know, I'm an Ontario born kid. And when I've lived elsewhere in the country, it's been West as opposed to East. But it, it has the the perception, at least for me, and I think a lot of the people in Central Canada, of this is where so many people came. This is the site of immigration. But that's not where everything necessarily took place. So there's a network, but also it's the, the people who are there are putting in place policies that aren't made there, which I think is an interesting part of this as well, that the, the nation state creates the policies and then the immigration officials at Pier 21 are enforcing those policies as they go. So, you know, in, in terms of the personal experiences that you get, I'm curious, Jan, do you guys have any sort of sense or, or do people when they come who have personal experience with the with Pier 21 and immigration, do they make a distinction between the experience of coming to Canada and the the process of immigrating to Canada and all that entails and the relationship with the state versus arriving at Pier 21? The, easy, the easiest way to sort of answer that question is in my own particular um, experiences, oftentimes there is that disconnect. So the the emotional aspects of, of immigrating by yourself or with your family members to Canada is oftentimes what, what people come to uh, to sort of see represented here. But they also want to learn about, you know, for example, Pier 21 as a, as a site of, of or a mechanism of, of state regulation of why do certain people get in at certain times and other ones don't? Who is considered desirable and, and who is not? And why is that? And when does that happen? Um, so I think we try to sort of balance that by having uh, stories presented, by having oral history clips and interviews woven into our, our exhibits because you need that firsthand testimony. Or of course, if, if not firsthand, then it could be a descendant or a second generation account of a parent or, or a grandparents coming to Canada. So we try to, we try to not only uh, respect and sort of work with that personal uh, account, that personal experience, but we also want to give it background. We want to give it greater context by providing the, the policy, the legislation aspect, and sort of the history of, of immigration. Because people oftentimes, uh, certainly immigrants, want to sort of see themselves uh, not only within their own personal story, but where do they fit in within the context of Canadian immigration? Where do they fit in in the context of, of Canadian history and of Canadian society as well? Another aspect of this that I'd love to touch on 
quickly is is sort of looking at that idea of network and what that uh, brought to my mind was one of the things that we tried to do in the book was respond to myth and of course Canadian immigration history the idea of Canada as a multicultural tolerant open society the role of Pier 21 the idea that Pier 21 is a, a principal immigration or the principal immigration site these are all myths that are are operating in the Canadian public that we have to engage directly at the site and they all have problems. Um, you know, even in Halifax, Pier 21 wasn't the busiest, busiest immigration site. Its predecessor, Pier 2, was. Uh, in the scope of the country, um, as Jan's work has explored more thoroughly, you know, Quebec was much, uh, much busier than, than Halifax as an immigration site. So the book, in a number of, of places, uh, we've tried to gently, perhaps, uh, introduce little course corrections on, on a couple of these myths that we see operating uh, in, the, in the area of immigration history. And that's really important because how we understand the history of immigration and the myths we tell ourselves about the process of immigration to Canada, we see those operating in contemporary policy and public debate, right? Whether it's uh, sort of a short-sighted view of, uh, you know, Pier 21 as a, a, like a, a golden arriving place where people stepped off into a new life, ta-da! And, and unfortunately, you know, that kind of myth really does a disservice to everything from, you know, at varying times and in different places, uh, the xenophobia or exclusion that immigrants might experience in Canada through to, you know, economic hardship, the rejection of credentials, and many other problems that were real for immigrants who arrived at Pier 21, but that persist today, even in faces, you know, like, well, we landed 25,000 refugees from, you know, Syria or wherever. Uh, they're in Canada. Get to work, boys. You know you're all fine now. Yeah. Um, and so the book has a role uh, in responding to myths about our site and also about the immigration history that that springs from that uh, and operated in that site. Uh, and uh, you didn't want to set off the cognitive dissonance too much, but Jan and I both had points in the book where I think we were really consciously negotiating public mythology of Canada as this, you know, uh, cast in the post-1970s multicultural society light, right? Yeah. And I think the geography of that is so interesting as well. If you think of, say, the exclusion of, of Asian immigration, for instance, and where people from Asia would be arriving in the country, it's not Pier 21, right? It'd be Pacific crossings. And so just thinking about who it would arrive at Pier 21 in Halifax, who would, who would have arrived at Pier 2, who arrived at Quebec City, or even maybe more modern, in a more modern sense, who's arriving at Pearson International Airport. And those sorts of issues would certainly shape the immigration experience coming to Canada. And, and I'm curious to know then, how, how do you balance that at a site like Pier 21 where the, the name of the museum is the Canadian Museum of Immigration, and yet the site itself has a very specific history. Like what, I'm just curious to know like where that balance lies in telling the, the history of immigration to this country, which is very broad and very wide and has 
geographic realities to it versus the specific experiences of people at Pier 21? Well, I think that's something that we we continuously grapple with. Um, what we've done in terms of research and interpretation is within our, our, our core exhibition, we have two, two permanent exhibits. So one that focuses on the Pier 21 history, the history of the site. And then in the other hall, we have our Canadian Immigration Hall, which tells the story of Canadian immigration from uh, first contact with Indigenous people. So we've tried to sort of give a very uh, localized or site-specific history that, that oftentimes does tend to appeal to individuals who have a personal connection with the site and their descendants. And then, of course, those that perhaps want to know uh, what is Canada's place in uh, the world refugee order? What does it mean, for example, Steve mentioned resettling thousands of Syrian refugees. Um, are they the only group of refugees we've resettled? Do we have an active policy? What has Canada done throughout, uh, throughout its history to welcome or to exclude refugees? So a lot of these topics are, are you know, present of mind and sort of how you how you find a way to present them, of, of course, is a challenge. But there's also, I, I think, a, a practical um, a practical challenge as well, as whereas you have a, a certain amount of space, right? That I think a lot of a lot of your listeners that that work in cultural heritage might understand that, you know, when you have to tell tell an entire story, who's who and and what stories do you tell? How much space do you dedicate to each sort of component of those stories? And what's your uh, What's your central argument of, of your of your exhibit? And I think I think for our museum, we've tried to acknowledge, of course, the fact that within our museum we do have a national historic site, but we are also a, a national museum that sort of portrays and discusses the history of, of immigration to Canada over time. And you you mentioned that there is the the history of immigration since first contact with Indigenous peoples. I'm curious to know whether or not any of the individuals who you spoke with as part of this book, or just in general, how the museum deals with the the role of immigration within the larger colonial project. That I think that's something that is quite interesting. The way the government uh, throughout Canadian history has promoted immigration as part of the the colonial state of Canada. You know, are, are people who come through the site as either visitors or folks you interview, are they conscious of that, Steve? Or are, is it really more of the personal experience of individuals who come through and come to Canada? In terms of people that I've spoken with in interviews, I, I wouldn't say, you know, for people who came through the site as immigrants, they're arriving 1971 or earlier. Uh, and I, I think it would be sort of unfair to read back a lot of awareness about settler colonial operation uh, broadly uh, to people choosing to immigrate at that time uh, in much of a sort of a critical frame, except for people perhaps coming from other parts of the British Empire. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, in the in the very late period of Pier 21 operating, uh, a few people arrived who were coming, for example, from India and who had awareness of colonial presence in the past. And there, perhaps, in speaking with them, you see sort of some querying of, you know, well, what was what was the British role, you know, and this kind of thing. Uh, but to have a keen awareness of sort of the, um, uh, the machinations of, uh, and the conflicts involved in the collision of European empires in the territories that became Canada and so on, I, I, I don't 
think. Uh, in terms of visitor queries, public history in Canada has been transformed in the last couple of years since the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and, and uh, sort of the, the, um, the foundations and the ethical uh, premises under which we must operate in, as public historians in Canada uh, were radically modified by that, right? And that came just after we opened our current exhibit. So part of what we do now is consider, you know, for every project we take on uh, now, how, how can we account for this transformed historical landscape that we, we should participate in? Because, you know, one of the histories of Pier 21 is as a delivery site for settlers arriving at the time of the signing of the last of the numbered treaties, right? right. Like this is, this is not uh, a piece of history that's absent from our mind, but it's something that we have to grapple with. And I think the exhibit as it stands um, doesn't necessarily respond really well to those questions. And this book is really about Pier 21 as, as a place rather than, Pier 21 sort of in its larger context. Right. But the, the question is very much alive for us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think on the other, sort of maybe the other end of that, Jan, for you and in, in your work that you've done and your other book on Czech refugees, for instance, it, it feels like the site for those people might have a very different feel, uh, just maybe the sort of a 180 degree flip. Uh, from sort of the colonial project that for folks who are arriving as refugees uh, and escaping whatever conditions they're, they're trying to get out of, it could almost feel like a, a place of hope and rejuvenation. And is that something that you have found in, in that end of it, sort of Pier 21 and immigration to Canada in general as refugees is a, a very positive experience? I think uh, in in my own personal research, I, I think it definitely was, but but not in in uh, in every case. I think if you look at sort of successive refugee movements that uh, came to Canada through the pier, especially in the late '40s up until, for example, the Cold War defectors of of the late '60s, early '70s, you have individuals that do see Canada as a land of hope, as a place that where they can be offered safe haven. But you also have others that come with a lot of trepidation, a lot of um, uh, you know trauma that sometimes gets passed down. They're not sure where they are. They don't understand the culture. They obviously are still dealing, for example, with memories of the Holocaust. So I don't think that it's necessarily you, you can't necessarily group this particular uh, set of individuals into sort of one experience. Uh, but I'd say on the whole, they sort of saw it as a positive because at least it was a new beginning. Whether that new beginning in Canada ended up being a positive experience or not was obviously individual and, and depended on a whole host of, of different factors. Um, but, but on the whole, you know, people, for the most part, uh, refugees included, were at least willing to sort of look at Pier 21 or whether it was the Port of Quebec or the Port of Victoria or what have you as, okay, I'm coming to Canada, I may be able to live the kind of life that I want, or maybe there will be this sort of economic opportunity that I didn't have in my old, uh, my old homeland. So uh, I think on the, on the whole, it's, it's a bit more diverse than that, but generally speaking, yes, I, I do think that it, it was seen sort of a, as a positive. And, and certainly in the, the late 40s, 
if you were coming by ship and uh, disembarking at Pier 21, you would have seen a big sign on the, the water side of the, uh, the immigration facility that, of course, said, welcome home to Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So we did sort of try to posit the immigration experience through Pier 21 as something, you know, something to behold, something that was positive, something that was life-affirming and, and life-changing all at the same time. Right. And I think it's a good point that you make to distinguish the necessarily the arrival versus the overall experience. I remember reading about a group of Ukrainian immigrants who came around the turn of the 20th century and they were filled with optimism and excitement when they arrived. And then they got on uh, and they started traveling. And when they got to Manitoba, they the group was struck with, uh, with I th think it was a, a flu of some sort. And I think 10 to 15 people, including a few children, died. So if you were to talk about their experiences when they arrived in Canada, right, they all reported being very excited and very enthusiastic about the opportunities. But then a few weeks later, they're, they, they have this tragedy. Right? So you have to do, it is, I think, important to make that distinction between the arrival experience versus the actual lived experience in the country, which is going to be different. And in some cases like that, in conflict with what their expectation was versus, versus what actually happened to them. And I think that's a really, a really great point. And, and I think the book sort of speaks to that where, you know, Pier 21 is sort of a, 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 uh, a mechanism of state regulation, as I sort of mentioned earlier, and it is an, or was an official port of entry. And so there was a linear process that, that immigrants and returning Canadians and visitors went through but at the same time, even within that linear experience, people's individual experiences of the sites were always different. There were never really two cases that were identical because there's so many um, factors involved. Which is why an oral history project is such a good idea, right? To, to get those individual experiences. One of the things I, I think that I, I love about this project and this book, um, you know, focusing on the place of, of Pier 21 is that memories are, are always located, they're placed, right? And the, the trick there is, is place is constantly renewed and reinvented. And this is a challenge for commemoration, as you say, with you know parks and the Historic Sites and Monuments Board. It's a challenge with a fixed installation like ours, where you know the biggest artifact we have is the building. Um, and so when you have an oral history collection, uh, you know, built on memory inquiry, those memories are, are located in this place that, you know, our relationship with it, uh, you know, even as we speak, is being modified uh, by, you know, the unfortunately, the the passing of it from first person memory to family memory, right, to to intergenerational sort of uh, uh, lore, um, and so looking at the history of the place helps us reground the interpretation of those memories, you know, and, and hopefully gives us a foundation uh, to approach and appreciate uh, what's coming forward as people uh, present the stories that they have about the site uh, against that reappraisal of place. And I think that's a, an interesting idea too, to think about for anyone who's going to read the book is this idea of memory and how the memory, it can be so affixed to the place and how it can change as it, as it shifts, as you say, towards that family lore side of it. So for anyone who's coming to the book, what should they expect in terms of the memory that they're going to experience? And 
how this is something that I struggle with students all the time with when when we're talking about using primary sources that are primarily based off of of memory as opposed to in the moment. You know, how do how can readers try to unpack some of the the memory and the issues that tend to be associated with memory, whether it's inflated in in one way or the other, or maybe little pieces might not people might not remember or things get triggered by being back at the site like like how can readers try to unpack all of the the social memory or the the just the individual experiences that are going to come through as they read the book that's a great question i i suppose in, in terms of when we were putting the the book together if i if i think of the the oral histories and the stories that we included they obviously spoke of especially the ones you know that had a, quite a vivid memory of, of the site of Pier 21, you know, to sort of think of it as like, this is their memory of the place at a, in a specific context, but this memory may have been formed or adjusted over time. So it may not be wholly accurate, but it is still valid in the sense that they were there, this is their experience. And I think what readers will see that, you know, whether you're dealing with uh, or, or, you know, reading about the ship arrival or the assembly room uh, or the small baggage check, perhaps it's the confiscated goods or waiting for the train, is that you'll see for the most part that, sure, there may be sort of a, a linear process happening here. And there might be several stories that kind of speak to the same thing, but they don't all necessarily, necessarily agree. They all kind of look at it. From a, from a different lens, right? So for example, taking the train from Halifax to, to, uh, to Montreal and, and points west, some people thought it was amazing. They'd never seen a train so well, uh, the seats so well spread out and, and they were so well taken care of. Other ones were, you know, claimed that they were freezing to death. There wasn't, there wasn't access to food and there was overcrowding and it smelled. So it really, it really depends. But what I do like is that these memories are wide ranging. Right, and they do change, but they're also located in a in a particular place in time. And so you're gonna get um, you're gonna get to see the the variety, but you'll also see the tension between the memories and sort of what we know to be the the process of coming through the site, and also what I guess the immigrant remembers of that process. Steve, for you, how do you, how do you understand the the memory experience especially or the, the role of memory in the book especially as someone who's been with the site for so long and seeing the the site transform you know into this national museum uh, how, how do you think of these issues i guess for me one of the most important things uh hopefully that someone would experience in the book and and hopefully they would find as well if they came to our site is that in the case of immigration history uh, and a lot of histories more broadly, it's really important to be comfortable with conflict. Pier 21 is now arguably the most celebrated immigration historical site in Canada. The immigration department never wanted to move there. Pier 21 during its busiest years welcomed, you know, among the top five groups were German immigrants coming after the Second World War. It was built in part by interned German prisoners of war. Their labor was, uh, they were brought from Amherst as compelled labor uh, during the construction period of the, the key. You know, Pier 21 is often seen uh, because of the policies and practices of Canadian immigration as a site that 
is frankly white. Mm. And yet if we look at the history, we find the history of African Nova Scotians in the black porters who worked with the, the rail cars that called at it. And also, you know, in a connection to uh, an, uh, an early effort to expropriate uh, territory from Africville, one of the doctors who championed that expropriation uh, and really propelled this expropriation of African Nova Scotians was a doctor who worked out of his office at Pier 21. Um, <laughs> the yeah. site is riddled with conflict. It's a, it's a principal Second World War history site built on Phil stolen from First World War harbor defenses. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, you know, the, so when somebody comes to our book, when somebody comes to our site, ideally what we're, I hope we can do is ease them into this idea that, you know, in, in our discipline, it's sort of something I guess we, we must be comfortable with. There's absolutely nothing tidy in the memory of this site. There's nothing tidy in the history of it. Right. Um, and so what we have to do is approach these sources respectfully and understand that the best we can do is, is try to reconcile these, these conflicts and to understand that, you know, although immigration is an intensely personal experience, it, it occurs in the context of a, a large sort of um, not very personal bureaucracy. And this, of course, makes for exactly this kind of, of fractured uh, historical accounting that we find. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things, too, that being a part of a national museum, it's so important that that is included. You know, it's, it's one thing for academics or, or, or even local communities to do it, but to have it done by a national museum in a national museum, uh, I think that's really important to acknowledge that tension. Uh, and it's something that certainly in, in my job with the working primarily with the historic sites and monuments board of Canada comes up all the time is, is acknowledging tensions and acknowledging conflict. And it's something that historically official quote unquote official histories have struggled with. So the inclusion of it in not only the museum, but the book as well, I think is really an important acknowledgement and hopefully readers do appreciate uh, its inclusion in here is, is a, a phrase that I like to use. Maybe even it's somewhat, not, maybe it's not the best phrase to use, but it's in history, it's, it's important that we all get comfortable being uncomfortable with some of the issues that, that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Exactly. Yeah. No, the, the discomfort is uh, um, so important. It comes around a little bit to this idea of challenging sort of myth or, or conceptions that we have in immigration history, too. Uh, and just as we find in our galleries, so in the book, you, you have to approach that in a way that doesn't um, tip people over into you know, being unreceptive as you sort of slam them into the differences uh, between maybe a myth or a, uh, a historical uh, narrative that, that they've shared in that, that maybe doesn't work out so well with the evidence. But we tried to negotiate those. And uh, where we can in the book, we, uh, we really do try to engage uh, to, to steer people, um, yeah, into narratives or, or uh, into sort of approaches to the past that are a little more troubling or, or problematic. But what we find, again, going back to those visitor surveys, is people are hungry for that. And if you give them access to the evidence, as you can when you're working with oral histories, you know, they tend to tend to embrace it and, and uh, 
welcome the idea of sort of more challenging uh, past uh, at the site. Yeah, I, I agree. That's been my experience as well. The people are, are really eager for for some of these more challenging and, and different narratives uh, that come through in history. So Jan, where can people find the book and what is going on at the museum right now? If people are in the Atlantic bubble, can they come and visit? Uh, I know, you know, I'm not allowed being from Ontario to head out east right now. Uh, but but what is the what is the process and the procedure at the museum right now if people want to come and visit and, and check out Pier 21? Sure. So uh, first off, they can they can definitely pick up the book at the museum. We are open uh, Tuesdays to Saturdays, Tuesdays is sort of reserved for those who may be uh, immunocompromised uh, or, or vulnerable. You can pick up the book on site through our gift shop. You can also visit uh, our website and uh, uh, boutique at k20.ca or uh, shop at peer21.ca. And you can also um, visit the University of Ottawa Press if, if you're so inclined. The book, again, Pier 21, A History by Jan Raska, Steve Schwinghammer. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, and congratulations on the book. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Sean. So there you have it. My conversation with Jan Raska and Steve Schwinghammer. Again, I thank them for their time. And if you have the opportunity, do check out Pier 21, A History from our friends over at the University of Ottawa Press. So that will do it. For this week's episode, thank you everybody for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show, wherever it is you get your podcast. Give us the likes, the ratings, comment, do all those things that helps other people find the show, helps us keep growing, and uh, makes us want to do more great episodes like this one. Uh, And please do check out some of our past episodes if you missed them. We've been going weekly for most of the summer we missed i think one week uh, at some point late july early august but the plan is to continue to go with this weekly schedule uh, for the foreseeable future so do subscribe so you uh, don't miss any of the exciting content we have planned over the next few months as always do check out activehistory.ca for some other material there's some great pieces up there from earlier this week uh, monday and tuesday so head on over there to check that out And of course, you can always get in touch with me to let me know what you want to hear on the show. You can find me on Twitter at the Sean Graham or through email at historyslam at gmail.com. So we'll be back with you again next week. But until then, if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.